You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Now today I have the pioneer in biology and a cutting edge leader in bridging the gap between science and spirituality. His name is Bruce Lipton and he is also a best-selling author who has written a handful of amazing books. I've read a couple of them myself and they're truly amazing. Uh, The Biology of Belief and The Honeymoon Effect are major successes in many major bookstores uh, across the world. So Bruce, I'm so excited to have you here today. I know our audience feels your content and feels your message. So thank you for joining us. I so appreciate it, Joel. And I really thank your audience because we're in a state of uh, uh, of evolution. Everybody knows that the planet is going through a very major crisis, many crises at this moment. All of it is leading to an evolution. And the audience that you have, Joel, I'm very excited to speak with because these are the young people, the movers, the ones that are going to inherit the world. And they they need to operate in a whole different fashion than the, the older people have been programmed to operate in. So uh, I thank you because uh, maybe we can get some exciting information information out to empower your audience and that's what the intention is well i'm 100 percent sure we can do that <laughs> so <laughs> that's great that's great so bruce you know i've interviewed hundreds of successful people and they're successful in their different rights you know some of them are, are philanthropists some of them are athletes some of them are uh multi-millionaires billionaires uh, you know entrepreneurs now what i've discovered is there's this pattern and i find that uh at the end of end of the day there's an average, right? And what I find is that it's it's beliefs, habits, and skills. And I, want, I don't just mean mechanical skills, but also emotional uh, skills as well that I find are really uh, are the areas that a lot of these uh, people are mastering when it comes to success. Now, I know that you're really big on the belief side of things because you've, ri- you've written a book, The Biology of Belief, and you've, you're well-known uh, as uh, a leader in the field of, of beliefs, right? So yes. what, what do you feel it takes to really have a resilient mindset when it comes to achieving success or chasing your dreams? Well, there's an old phrase, Joel. It's called knowledge is power. And we're operating from such a, a dearth of knowledge at this point that we are all essentially become powerless. And there's new science at the front end that says, wait a minute, uh, you have been programmed to be victims and that uh, there's an opportunity when you become aware of the program to switch it around. And when you're, you know, when you have that knowledge, when you have that power, uh, you you can actually empower your life to become what you want, rather than to uh, expect all the negative things you've been programmed to see in your life. Uh, all of that is wrong. So uh, there's an opportunity here when you understand who you are, what you are, and how you work, to empower your life. Uh, and, and turn this planet into heaven on earth, which is really what it is uh, until we destroy it. And we're destroying it because of a lack of knowledge now. Yeah. That makes sense. But this is, isn't this funny that like right now we're in the information age where we're just living in this saturation of information. So what is it? Like what, what do we do with this knowledge? Well, the the first idea is this. We have been programmed and i use that uh, very seriously in the in the terms of the matrix everyone's familiar with the movie the matrix and we have all been programmed and what's really interesting is that the idea of programming this is not new (coughs) excuse me 
that uh, the fact that we have been programmed has been known for over 400 years. And in fact, uh, the Jesuits have actually boasted about the fact that we are programmable for 400 years. Uh, There's a phrase that comes from the Jesuits, uh, and the phrase is, give me a child until it's seven, and I will show you the man. Now, people repeat that and go, yeah, yeah, that's a Jesuit. Show me a child. Give me a child till it's seven. I'll show you the man. I said, no, let me tell you what it really means. It means that if you can program a child's life for the first seven years, then you control the outcome of that child's life. And this, as I said, it's not been a secret, but uh, it's just that people have not really reacted or responded to this phrase every time it comes out. It's like, when you tell me that, what does it mean, give me a child till it's seven and I'll show you the man? It means this, if I have an opportunity to program the mind of a child for the first seven years of its life, I don't care what that child's wishes and desires are. That child will conform exactly to the program that I provided. So, yes, in fact, uh, we live in the world of the matrix. And and it's very interesting because uh, this world that we've been programmed to live in, we have been programmed to be the victims, that we are so-called powerless in in our world, and therefore we, we sit there waiting for something to come out of the blue and hit us, whether it's a cancer or diabetes or whatever it is. Uh, we look toward our biology, for example, as, oh my God, the biology is controlling me and I don't control the biology. Genes control me and I don't control the genes. Uh, and therefore we have these beliefs that, oh, you have certain gene, you're going to have a certain consequence. Uh, you got a breast cancer gene and you're a woman, well, then you darn well expect that you're going to really have a likely brush with breast cancer or whatever diseases that we're talking about, cardiovascular disease. Yes, uh, in my family, people, uh, the men die young, about 50 or so years of age, and they all die with these cardiac diseases. Therefore, I must have a gene that's going to do that. I anticipate that I'm going to die, uh, and inevitably I do at that young age. And it turns out, well, did the genes cause this? And the answer is, No, it's our belief system. And this is the primary, most important change in our science today because almost everyone on this planet has been programmed with the belief that genes control the character and and traits of your life. And I say, well, if that's true, what does it mean? And it means this. As far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with. And if we don't like our traits, we can't change the genes. And, And you stop long enough to say, well, what does that mean? And it says, oh, my God. I'm a victim of my heredity, meaning things are running in my family genetically, and I have no control over them. I didn't pick them, and I can't change them, and therefore, uh, I am a victim of these wild genes that are going to screw up my life. So we program people with a belief. Your life is not in your control. It's in the control of these genes, and, uh, and, and then people have recognized, well, then they appear to be powerless in controlling their lives. And it turns out this belief is now found to be so false, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's the idea <laughs> yeah. that people say, people say <clears throat> on a day-by-day basis, they say, oh, a gene turned on and a gene turned off, and that these genes turning on and off control our fate. Well, then what you have done is given power to the genes. You say genes make decisions. Genes turn on, genes turn off. Well, let me give you a simple fact of the current science, and that is that is a totally false statement. Uh, 
Mm. And the problem is, if you believe it, it really leads you to the victim part because, well, I don't control the genes. I don't turn them on and off. They control me and therefore illness and whatever it is comes into my life and I had nothing to do with it. And it turns out, no, this is not true. In fact, what we now know that only less than 1%, I'm going to emphasize that, less than 1% of disease is connected to genes at all. That means wow. 90% or more of disease is not genetic. And what is it? Well, there's a new science, and it has a name that's so similar to genetics that people are confused. Because genetics or genetic control is what people have learned. Genetic control, which literally means control by genes. My life is under genetic control. My life is under control of genes. That's what people think. Mm. Let me give you a fact. A gene is nothing more than a blueprint to make the protein building blocks that create the body. So the genes are blueprints. And I go, yeah, but what does that mean? Now, here's the catch. You go into an architect's office over her shoulder, and you ask the architect, and you say, excuse me, is your, is your blueprint on or off? And, and she would look at you like, well, you're crazy. It's a blueprint. There's no on and off. And I go, precisely. A gene is a blueprint. There's no on and off. The genes control nothing. They don't control themselves. They don't make any decisions. A gene is not expressing an on or off. A gene is a blueprint. What does that mean very specifically? Well, Listen, if genes were self-actualizing, the belief that they control themselves, uh, then you could say, oh, a blueprint is self-actualizing. Throw the blueprints into an empty building lot, come back in a month, and lo and behold, there's a building. You say, the genes created this building. And I go, okay, wait, this is totally wrong. The blueprints are guides, but they don't control things. Hmm. It's our mind. It's our perceptions. It's our responses to life that actually not only select which genes are going to be read, this is more important now, that this new science also says that how we respond to our life, we can change the reading of our blueprints. We can create over 3,000 or more different protein building blocks from the same blueprint just based on how we see or how we live our lives. I go, why is this relevant? And the answer is this. The new science has a name. It's called epigenetic control. They said, well, genetic control, controlled by genes. What's epigenetic control? And I go, epi means above. So when I say the words epigenetic control, I'm literally saying control above the genes. You go, what does that mean? I say, the control was never in the genes. The control was above the genes. I said, well, what is it that controls the genes? And here it is. The environment in which we live, and more importantly, our perceptions or our beliefs about that environment because those perceptions and beliefs are translated into chemistry by the brain and that chemistry is then distributed via the blood to the cells and that chemistry controls the genetics i go so what's the relevance i go the new science epigenetics says the control is above the genes the control is in your thoughts the way you live i go why is that relevant old belief, the one that everybody's convinced is working, is genes make their decisions and I'm irrelevant in the pathway. And I say, and the new science is, oh, genes are based on the environment and my perception. I go, well, guess what? You're the one that can se select or change the environment. You're the one that can actually change your perceptions. I go, what does that mean? It goes, you control your genes. 
by the way you respond, the way you believe, the way you act, you change your genetic activity. And this is why it becomes so critical because giving the genes the power to control our lives has caused us to feel like we're victims. But the new science of epigenetics says, no, you are the master. Why? You're the one that can change your beliefs. You're the one that can change your perceptions. You're the one that can change your environment. And those sources are the control of the genes. So therefore, rather than being victims, we are now beginning to recognize that we are the masters of our health, our life, and what goes on in the world that we live in. And this is obviously profoundly different than the programming everybody's received. Everyone else is out there thinking, oh my God, I have a cancer gene. A cancer is going to come and get me. Oh my God, I'm going to, you know, one day I'll wake up and cancer is going to be there. And we go, this is not true. This is totally untrue. Cancer gene, there are no cancer genes, meaning there is no gene that if you have this gene in your body, you're going to get cancer. And you say, well, wait, they talk about the breast cancer gene. I go, yeah, well, let's say the breast cancer gene one, this is BRCA1. I say, it's connected with breast cancer. And they give you a fact. Only half of the women with the breast cancer gene one actually have breast cancer. And you go, so what does that mean? I go, ah, 50% of the women have the gene, but don't have the cancer. And then all of a sudden you say, well, then what is it that's causing the cancer? It can't be the gene because having the gene doesn't necessarily mean you get the cancer. I go, it's having the gene, but also living a life of stress and living a life out of harmony and living a life where uh, it, it, you're just fine, life is difficult and troublesome. That attitude is what engages that gene and can lead to cancer. So I was saying, having the gene didn't cause the cancer, having the attitude causes the cancer. Relevance? Don't try and get rid of the gene change the attitude it's a lot easier <laughs> <laughs> i love it and this makes so much sense a lot of people are living in that fixed mindset so it's it's about really harnessing the growth mindset isn't it a absolutely and it's very difficult because uh we have been programmed you go uh, i say you've been programmed and, and again this is like the story of the matrix mm -hmm. um People have been programmed, uh, and, and the programming occurs during the first seven years of life. And, and it occurs for a very specific reason, and the reason is this. There are things that I can put into genetics to influence your life, the, the physical things, the physical machinery of your body. But I can't control behavior with genetics because behavior changes so frequently. Look, a, a culture changes its behavior when new information, a new world of science comes in, a new world is discovered. We change our behavior all the time. So behavior is not really built into the genes. The genes make a machine. They make a vehicle, a body. And I go, well, yeah, well, uh, okay, the genes determine the character of my body, how tall, my hair color, and things like that. But do the genes determine the character and quality of my life? And I go, oh, no, no. They just determine the nature of the vehicle. And I say, if you look at your body as a vehicle that is created by the blueprints called genes, and I go, you know what's interesting? You go to an auto plant. Two cars come off the assembly line. Two identically built cars. They're two identical cars. One of them goes to a mature, older person, and the other one goes to a young, hothead teenager. And I say, okay, tell me the fate of these two different cars. And inevitably, the, the one that goes to the mature person is going to last a lot longer because a mature person is going to understand how to drive the vehicle, hopefully, and take care of the vehicle and maintain the vehicle and keep it in good health. 
the teenagers driving very heavy on the gas, slamming on the brakes, doing all that kind of stuff, is actually uh, uh, disastrous to the machine, causes the, the car to break down. Now, I just put this back into your body as the vehicle, the car, but your mind is the driver. If you have bad driver education of how to drive this vehicle, then you're going to destroy the vehicle. I don't care what. But if you have a good education on how to maintain your vehicle and take care of it and how to operate it properly, then the vehicle lasts a long time without any breakdown. You go to the junkyard and you say, look at all the cars in the junkyard. Were they built so poorly that the cars just naturally broke down? I go, no. 90 plus percent of the cars in that junkyard were built beautifully. It was just the driver's who were not able to maintain and take care and drive the vehicle well enough to keep it healthy. And that's why they end up in the junkyard. Now I look at your health and I go, how many people are sick? And I go, oh, is the sickness caused because the vehicle was built wrong? And I go, less than 1% of any sickness in the world is based on the, the genetics of building the car. The rest of illness on this planet is the driver. We, our mind, the way we live, the character of our lives, that's where the stresses get put on the biology, the vehicle, that end up in disease. And I say, well, what's the relevance? Just, disease is not a, a natural part of our lives. We should be healthy and happy and live to at least 140 years as a normal lifespan. I go, well, then how come we have so much illness and people die so young? I go, we've been blaming the vehicle for 50 years. Oh, your vehicle's got bad genes. Now we know, oh, my God, no, it's your driver education. It's how you learn to manage the vehicle that has caused the problems. I'll give you a simple example of that, real, real simple, but it's like, oh, how clear. It goes like this. Scientists have followed the fate of children who were adopted into families where there was cancer running in the family. What did they find? They found that the adopted child will get the same family cancer as any of the natural siblings in that family with the same probability except this. The child came from totally different genetics. What was the point? The point was the cancer wasn't derived from the genes. The cancer was derived from growing up in that family and living behaviors that are not in harmony or, or support of that system. And these behaviors were acquired from the parents and passed down to the children. And the idea is we've all been programmed how to drive the vehicle. And yet almost all of our programs uh, are actually damaging to the vehicle. We need to change the way we live on this planet. We need to change our beliefs and the way we are driving this vehicle to regain power and be healthy your entire life. You don't need health insurance and you don't need to worry about disease. You are so powerful, except your belief is you're frail and vulnerable and open to disease and parasites and germs and all that. And it's like, well, that's a belief system. If you believe it's true, it will become true. But it turns out it's not a natural part of your own nature and your own biology. So it really turns out your life is based on your beliefs and your attitude. And just to give again a common example that people see how powerful belief is, there's something called the placebo effect. And most everybody's heard about it. And that is this. You have a certain illness. I, the doctor, say, look, I got a brand new drug, most magical drug ever. Here it is. It's even got color purple because it's so powerful. And this purple pill is going to heal you. And you take these purple pills and lo and behold, you get well. And then later on, 
you were told by the doctor, <laughs> you know, that pill I gave you, it really was just a sugar pill. And then you say, well, what healed me? The, I thought the pill healed me. I say, no, it was the belief in the pill that healed you, not the pill, the belief. And we say, oh, yeah, that's called the placebo effect, which is simply a positive belief can lead to health and wellness and healing by exercising positive belief. Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I got that. And I go, now here's the most important part of the story because this is what you didn't hear, and that is this. A placebo is based on having a positive belief of healing and empowerment. But what if you have negative beliefs about life? And I go, oh my God, negative beliefs are equally powerful in controlling your life, but they work in the opposite direction from health. A negative belief can cause every disease from cancer to diabetes to heart attacks, uh, premature death. All of this is from negative beliefs. There's actually a name in science because we gave the positive beliefs a name. We call them the placebo effect. A, a positive belief that this pill is going to heal you uh, leads to healing even though we know the pill was just sugar. Then I say, and what about a nocebo effect? I say, a nocebo, nocebo effect is a negative belief that this isn't going to happen or I can expect to have this problem or life is against me or, oh my God, I'm going to catch this, uh, this fever. I'm going to get this cancer. A belief, not having it, but just a belief is so powerful. It can create anything. So all of a sudden I say, ah, oh, it's not the power of positive belief. That's so important. The one that we emphasize placebo, it's the power of belief that is important. Recognizing while positive beliefs can take you toward a road toward healing, negative beliefs can cause every disease and can cause death without anything physically wrong with you other than the belief, the nocebo effect. And this is why it's important because psychologists have told us that up to 70% or more of the beliefs that we acquired as children are negative, disempowering, limiting, and self-sabotaging. I say, 70% of your program is from beliefs that undermine all your power. And then we walk around saying, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a victim. Uh, my genes are, are killing me. My life outside nature isn't supporting me. The universe doesn't like me. Uh, I'm so unsuccessful. And I'm just a victim. Well, it's time for that victim idea to end. Because we now know that we are all very powerful people that our beliefs and attitudes about life are shaping not just our internal biology, but are shaping the life that we experience in the world outside of us. And this is so critical because I say 70% or more of those beliefs that we got were undermining our health and the wishes and desires of our lives. And I would say, what would happen if you did not follow these beliefs? In other words, let's go back to the story of the matrix. The matrix is, yes, you've been programmed. The matrix is true. It's not a science fiction. It's a documentary, in fact. As a matter of fact, the Order of Jesuits, for 400 years, listen to this, for 400 years, the Jesuits have boasted with this phrase. Listen to the phrase. Give me a child until it's seven, and I will show you the man. This is, this is a belief statement for 400 years. So what, what does it mean? I say, give me a child till seven is the program period of a natural child's life. The first seven years is programming the mind. The point is, after you program that mind, your life is going to become the readout of that program. So you're 
older older age. Your fate is like when I got I had disease and I got cancer and I got all these things. I go, they didn't start in old age. We now know scientifically, medically, that those diseases were seeded with the beliefs that we got in the first seven years of life. So I say, oh, yeah, the matrix is right. We've been programmed. But now it's interesting because the matrix has this interesting storyline that says, well, here are two. You got the blue pill. If you take that, eh, you wake up in the morning, you're back in the program. Life is just the way it's always been. No different. But if you take the red pill, ah, if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. You know, they don't really tell you what is the consequence of taking that red pill, except you're out of the program. Well, I'm going to tell you the consequence, because here's what it is. I presume most of my audience out there, Joel, is old enough to at least fall in love sometime. may have not lasted very long. I don't care how long it lasted, but let me go back to that moment you fell in love. I'm going to say, why? I say, your life could suck all the way up to the moment you meet this one person. And then you meet this person and you get so excited, you fall in love. And I say, and right after that, you experience something called the honeymoon. The honeymoon, that newness of that relationship. And I go, what, what's the honeymoon like? I go, oh, honeymoon is so great. You are healthy. Uh, uh, you know, people fall in love and you can see that. Oh, you people say, oh, look, look how in love they are. They glow. They're so glowing. They're so healthy. And I go, yes. In your mind, experience of love is like a chemistry drug. It causes the mind to release chemicals, give you health and happiness. And I go, oh, that's really great. And I say, oh, yeah, and guess what? When you're in that honeymoon, life was so beautiful. You couldn't wait to wake up in the morning and have more wonderful heaven on earth. So your life sucks. You meet this person. And then and overnight, it changes. And it's like, oh, my God, heaven on earth. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't last, but my book, The Honeymoon Effect, will tell you that. I really want to explain what was the difference from the day before you fell in love and your life up to that point was really sucky. And then what was the difference that when you met this person, you the next day was honeymoon heaven on earth? And I go, here's what it is. Science has found that falling in love is the equivalent of taking the red pill. When we fall in love, we get out of the program. And at the first time in your life, when you fall in love, is the first time in your life you take the creative control of your life in your own hands. I go, well, what does that mean? I said, the day before you fell in love, life sucks because you were living according to everybody else's rules, the program. The day you fell in love, you the, it was the red pill. You stopped playing the program. Then what did you do? You operated from wishes and desires and not habits i go what was the consequence wishes and desires what did you make heaven on earth and then unfortunately the honeymoon seems to fade but that's because at some point the habits kick back in and then life returns back to normal and that ex beautiful wonderful experience of being so in love and happy and healthy and making heaven disappears and yet it was still in there but you have now returned back to the program. And once you return back to the program, life was just like it was before you met your friend. And all of a sudden, you're back in the old world. So for what I need people to understand is your life is programmed. But the first time you've actually put your hands on the wheel and drove the vehicle with your own wishes and desires was when you became mindful Mindful meaning you became at that point uh, controlling 
of your life. You took your hands and put them on the wheel and didn't let the habits drive the vehicle. It's the habits that we learn that distort the vehicle. So point, you have the potential to have honeymoon every day of your life. You could be healthy and happy and live to 140 years and enjoy every day of your life. Then what is the issue? And the issue is 95% of the time we are operating from the programs and not operating from the conscious mind which has wishes and desires. And therefore, guess what? Your life is the matrix. Until you say, I'm taking that red pill. And I say, what is that? It's getting out of the program. It's stopping all the habits that you've been using your whole life and actually now creating from what is it you want, not what the habits have told me that I get. It's like no longer being the robot and actually being a human being. <laughs> it's exact, you know, Joel, that's, there's no simpler way of saying it than that because the, the subconscious mind where the habits are, mm -hmm. are, are, are is the automatic mind. It's the habit mind. By definition, a habit is push the button, play the program. And I don't care how long you live. You push the same button, you play the same program. Until you stop playing the habits, you are a recording device that's playing over the same programs that you acquired in the first seven years of your life. That's why the Jesuits said, give me a child until it's seven. I say, why, why, what's so important about seven? I say, because before, just before birth and for the first seven years, your brain is opera operating on record. It's recording behaviors. I go, recording whose behaviors? Your parents, your family, your community. And I say, why can't I make up my own behaviors? I go, because the conscious mind, the creative mind, doesn't kick in until about age seven. Before age seven, the mind is working at a different vibrational frequency called theta. Theta is imagination. I go, yeah, think about it. Kids under seven mix the real world and the imaginary world seamlessly. You know, you say, hey, give me the broom. And the kid looks at you like confused thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm riding a horse. To the kid at that moment, in mixing the imagination and the real world, the broom does become a horse. That's theta. So a child is in theta for the first seven years, but theta is also hypnosis. And I say, why would nature do that? Why should it make my first seven years programmable? And the answer is simple. And this is what it is, Joel. It simply goes like this. I say, how many rules do you have to learn to become a functional member of a family and a community? All the ways you have to respond. I mean, just think about it this way. The way your dad talks to a kid is not the way your dad talks to another adult. It's not the way your dad talks to your mom. It's not the way your dad talks to a policeman. Right away, I just got your dad talking, what, to five different ways that you have to learn. And I said, so when you put it all together, an infant needs to learn 100,000 facts. I go, how can you teach an infant 100,000 facts? How do you teach a one-year-old a fact? And the answer is, you can't do that, but if the brain is operating in theta, it just records like a video camera. Everything. It records how your mother behaves, how your father behaves, how your siblings behave, how your community behaves. And I said, well, then learning is very simple. Oh, yeah, I say that's the cool part. The first seven years, it's not like studying to learn something. It's just observing. Just by observation, you are recording. So here's the issue. 
then the this is it. The behaviors that are fundamentally in your subconscious mind, think about it, they're not your creation. The fundamental behaviors in your subconscious mind, how to respond to life and how to behave, came from observing other people. And all of a sudden I say, oh my God, then the programs in your subconscious mind do not necessarily match your wishes, your desires, what you want from life. They match the programs of other people. And therefore, when you're operating from the subconscious programs, you're not operating from what you want. You're operating from the behavior that you were downloaded with by observing other people. And that's why it's so difficult to get to your destination using the programs in your subconscious mind because they weren't designed by you or for you. They were other people's. <laughs> yeah. and, and now we know that when you fall in love, you default, you switch to the conscious mind, which is the creative mind, that's you, for the first time. Because on a ra right now, any adult out there listening to me right now is generally operating 95% of the time from the subconscious programs, and they don't even see it. Uh, and they don't see it. And I say, wait a minute, Bruce, you're telling me I have two minds. And I say, yes, and they have two different functions, and they learn in different ways. And yet, these minds control your genetics and your life experiences. So understanding the mind now becomes critical. I go, okay, two minds, what are they? Well, the conscious mind, which is the latest evolution of the nervous system, is the part of the mind that's connected to your personal identity, your spirit, your source, who you are. So uh, when you say the word Joel, you're talking from your conscious mind. That's where you are, an observer, like sitting behind your eyes watching the movie coming through your eyes. You are the observer in the conscious mind. The conscious mind is creative by definition. It's got wishes and desires. So I ask you, hey, hey, Joel, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want from your life. If you give me an answer, by definition, it's a creative response. You're thinking into the future. I go, oh, that's the character of the conscious mind, creative. I say, oh, wait, the conscious mind doesn't kick in until age seven. So what was running life before age seven? I go, oh, the more primitive subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Subconscious, by definition, means below consciousness. So the programs that are operating from the subconscious mind are not in your thoughts. They just operate like in the background. They're playing. Okay, so here's the story. The conscious mind, you, your spirit, is creative. Wishes, desires, what do you want from life? Is this a prefrontal cortex? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. It's uh, right behind your forehead, that part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And I go, and the subconscious mind is like 90% of the brain mass. And I go, what is that? I say, that's the habit mind. It learns how to do something. And once you learn how to do it, you never have to think about it again. Think about it this way. When you were an infant, you learned how to walk. Once you learned how to walk, you never had to struggle with learning how to walk again. It's there anytime you needed it. You didn't even have to say, I need to walk. You just have to have the ideas. I want to go over there. You don't even have to say it. Your legs will carry you over there. The legs, the movement, the walking is not from your conscious mind. It's from your subconscious. Driving the car. You didn't know how to drive a car originally, but through practice, you made a habit. So you can drive the car today, and guess what? You put the key in the ignition, and you're driving to the store, and what are you thinking about? What you're going to do, what you're going to buy, if you're going to go to the restaurant, what you're going to eat. And I go, well, what about driving the car? Looking out the window, pay attention to the mirrors, watching the gauges, you know, taking care of the feet on the pedals. I go, oh, by now that's a habit. I don't need to think about it. So I can drive the car without thinking about it. I go, yeah. And it turns out that 
of the things we do on a daily day on a daily basis are already programmed. You don't have to think about it. You could just do them. Your job, how to walk, how to drive the car, how to talk to somebody. These are these are habits. I go, so, okay, so, so yeah. Bruce, go ahead, I was Joel. gonna I was gonna ask you, so if we're only thinking five percent new thoughts, how can we bump that to ten percent new thoughts? Well, the first thing is this double a, our impact in like in, in days, in weeks. Instantly. 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 Mm. Not days and weeks. Instantly. And it goes like this. First you have to recognize this. The reason why ninety-five percent of our life is coming from the programs is because, as I said, the conscious mind is creative. But I'll, I'll give you the example right now. I'll, I'm going to say, hey, Joel, what are you doing on Sunday at 3 o'clock? If you actually consider that answer, are you going to answer me about that? Think about it this way. I ask you, what are you going to do on Sunday at 3 o'clock? Where did you find the answer to that? In your head. Oh, so the moment I asked you a question and you had to think, the thinking took your conscious mind. Not You're no longer driving the vehicle. You're no longer paying attention to what's going on. Your mind went inside to look in that imaginary Rolodex to say, what am I doing at Sunday at 3 o'clock? I go, well, wait a minute. If your mind is busy thinking, then who's operating the biology at the moment? If you're walking down the street and you have a thought, it doesn't mean you stop walking. If you're driving the car and you have a thought, it doesn't mean you stop driving. Here's the point. This is it. Critical. When the conscious mind is not paying attention, all behavior by default is controlled by the subconscious programs. And I go, yeah, but unfortunately, the predominant subconscious programs, oh, they didn't come from you. They, they came from your parents and your family and your community. So the moment you are thinking, the behavior you're playing does not necessarily support any of your wishes and desires. It could sabotage you. In fact, psychologists will tell us 70% or more of the thoughts that we have are negative and disempowering and self-sabotaging because they come from the programs that we got from other people. So it basically says, the moment you are thinking, the behaviors that are running you are no longer yours. They're other people's behaviors. And... They don't support who you are. That's why the moment you don't default to the subconscious, that means everything at that moment is controlled by the conscious mind, which is wishes and desires. That's why that moment you fell in love, you didn't default to the subconscious. You kept your conscious mind present. And there's a reason why. You've waited your whole life to find this person. They now show up. Why would you let your mind wander when you finally found what you were looking for? So it says, when you are in love, you stay conscious. You don't default to the subconscious. That means it's the equivalent of taking the red pill because at that moment, you're no longer going to play the programs. And guess what? The moment you take that red pill called love, the moment you created heaven on earth. And so the whole idea is this. If we can learn to stay mindful... A, that's one way of keeping a honeymoon every day of your life. You never have to let the honeymoon go away. You can have 140 years of honeymoon on this planet. But unfortunately, life is way too busy. It causes us to think. Every day, you got to think about your job, take care of your chores, fix your car, pay the rent. Your mind is wandering and wandering. So bottom line, data, 95% of your life is the program. 5% is you actually running it the way you want. And then we say, how come my life doesn't work out according to my wishes? I go, 
hey, you're only using 5% of your life to go toward your wishes. 95%, you're paying the pro- playing the program. And that's taking you away from health. <clears throat> yeah. Does that make sense? That, that makes a ton of sense. That's, that's actually really interesting. You know, uh, a number of my coaching clients uh, that I have sessions with, I find that they're holding these limiting beliefs. And, and I found like a, a common limiting beliefs. And one of them is uh, I'm not good enough. And the second one is uh, mistakes are bad or like failure is bad. And so what what do we do in this situation? Like just to explain it to the audience, what, what would you uh, recommend doing? Would it be focusing on the limiting beliefs and then working on them or focus more on empowering beliefs? Like what should we focus on working with? Okay, the whole idea is this. Let's look at the simplest conclusion. Here's the simplest conclusion. I rewrite all the negative beliefs that have taken me away from my goal, my destination, my wishes. I rewrite all the negative ones, and I put in positive ones. And I say, what would be the consequence? And the answer is this. Whether you're paying attention and running your life with your mind, the conscious mind, and playing wishes and desires, or whether you let your conscious mind wander, then you default to the subconscious. In this particular case, when you default, you're still going to be playing the same programs of wishes and desires. So it says, ah, the best solution in the world is not to try and stay conscious. That's very difficult because our world is too demanding. It's going to cause you to think. The best thing in the world is to rewrite the subconscious. And I go, oh, and what's the problem with that? And now here's the problem. The problem is this. The conscious mind and the subconscious mind are both... Uh, uh, elements able to control your biology. The conscious mind is creative. So if you read a self-help book, uh, go to a lecture, listen to this broadcast even, or just go, aha, the conscious mind goes, yeah, yeah, I got a new idea. I could live with this. And I go, did that change the conscious mind that just had this revelation? Did that change the subconscious? And the answer is absolutely not. They don't communicate in the same way. This is frustrating. Because you say, oh, yeah, now I got all, oh, this is how to do it right. Oh, my God, this is what I was doing wrong. Now I know. So my life should be really great. And I go, absolutely not. Simple reason is this. You've educated the 5% mind. You didn't change the habit in the 95% subconscious mind. Why? Because the subconscious mind does not learn that way. The subconscious mind learns in three fundamental ways. If you're not teaching it in one of these three ways, it will not learn. And this is where the biggest problems in our world come from because I say, well, my conscious mind's got all the right ideas. My conscious mind's got all the smarts. And if, if I exercise all these smarts, I should have the greatest life. And I go, yeah, but your conscious mind's not running the show. So no matter how smart your conscious mind is, you're still going to be the subject and object of your subconscious habit. So I say, okay. If I want to change the subconscious, how do I do it? And here comes the first thing. First thing, don't try and talk to yourself. That's a lot of people do. Say, okay, Bruce, uh, those donuts are poisonous. Don't don't eat those boys. Don't don't eat it. I told you, don't eat the donut. And then about five minutes later, of course, I'm standing there with a donut half eaten in my hand, <laughs> and my my conscious mind looks at me and goes, "Oh, you stupid idiot! You 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 didn't you didn't listen to me. You're so stupid." And I go, "Who are you talking to?" I said, I'm talking to my subconscious mind because it's the one that picked up the donut because my conscious mind knows that that's stupid. I go, oh, you're talking to your subconscious. That's really nice. Is there anybody in there to listen to you? Oh, there's the problem. The subconscious is a machine. 
There's nobody in there. You can talk to your blue in the face to the subconscious. Nobody's listening because there's not an entity. It's a record playback device. It's like a CD recorder. You've got a program on your CD. You push play and the program plays. You say, I don't like that program. And I go, okay. Go talk to the recorder. See how long it's going to take to change. You go up to the recorder. Stop playing that program. I want a different program. And you keep talking and yelling at the recorder. I say, how, how much yelling will it take before the program changes? The answer is, it will never change. Why? Because there's nobody in there. You want to change the recorder, you got to push the record button. Ah, oh, the subconscious mind has a record button. If you don't push it, you can't change the program. So I say, oh, then what are the record buttons? And here they are. There are three of them. Number one, put yourself into a state of hypnosis, which is a low brain frequency, like a low alpha vibration or theta vibration. That operational state of the brain at that low vibration, theta or low alpha, is the functional equivalent of hypnosis. This is where your brain was for the first seven years. That's how you downloaded all the fundamental knowledge that you're living by. In the first seven years, your brain was recording on, on, all of the time, recording everybody's behavior and putting those programs into your system. You say, well, how do I do that? And so just to help you out, theta is a low vibrational state. It's lower than consciousness and brain function. So here's the interesting story. When you're alert and awake during the day and operating from consciousness, your brain is operating at a high vibration. When you go to bed at night, it drops to the lowest vibration called delta. That's called sleep. But guess what? As you pass from the high vibration of being awake during the day to go into the low vibration of falling asleep at night, by definition, you pass through theta. Theta is just the part where the conscious mind is slipping off into sleep. So I go, oh, so there's a period of time just as you're falling asleep where your brain is naturally in theta. I go, yeah, guess what? Put a pair of earphones on as you're going to bed. Play a recording that has the beliefs that you want. I say, why is this relevant? Because just as you're going to sleep and your mind is dropping out of the higher vibration of consciousness and going toward delta, you enter into theta. And if you have earphones on and you're playing a tape as you're going to sleep, your conscious mind doesn't hear the tape. It's your subconscious mind. It's hypnosis. So you can create self-hypnosis every night by putting on uh, a tape with a, a new belief or program that you want and play it every night and repeat that and that will do it. So that's one way, hypnosis. But number two, the hypnosis character of the brain, theta, ends at around age seven. That's when you start to kick into a higher level of vibration, when you start to kick into consciousness with your brain. So a child is not really conscious until around age seven. Before age seven, it's in hypnosis. So I say, but the mind learns new programs after your age seven. I go, yes, it does, but here's how it does it. It does it by repetition, habituation. Before age seven, download the phrase. It's boom. It's into the system. After age seven, you have to practice something, and you have to repeat it. So I say, you want to drive a car? You didn't learn how to drive a car the first moment you got behind the seat. You got in there, and you practiced. The more you practice, the more you were creating a habit. So after age seven, you can rewrite programs by creating new habits. Interestingly, though, the habits you're creating are not already in the system. And so it sounds kind of foolish. You say, I, I, I want to be healthy, so I'm going to make a new habit. I am healthy. I am healthy. 
And yet the current reality is you're not healthy. And that's why you're trying to change the program. So it seems like a disconnect. You're trying to tell yourself, I am healthy, and your biology is not healthy. But I say, guess what? Keep repeating it. Fake it till you make it. Keep repeating it. Every day, guess what? The subconscious mind, over a period of time, learns a new habit. And so repetition of a behavior over time is another way of putting in a program in the subconscious. And then lastly, and the most exciting and the most important ones today of mind changing, changing those programs, is called energy psychology. Uh, And these are new approaches uh, that engage something called like super learning in the brain. You say, what's super learning? I go, maybe you've seen somebody in a bookstore read a book by just moving their finger down the page. As fast as they move the finger down, that's as fast as they read the page. So they're in the bookstore flipping pages, one, two, three, four, and guess what? They've read every page in the same time I just said, one, two, three, four, they read the pages. Super learning. You can engage, you can engage that process. If you engage it, that means you can download a behavior in about five to ten minutes. You can rewrite your programs in five to ten minutes, but it's an exercise. It's a, it's a process. Again, it's like pushing the record button. You have to know the exercise, how to do that. Uh, listed on my website, BruceLipton.com, very simple. Under resources is about 20 or more different ways of engaging the super learning process to rewrite your behaviors and give you programs in your subconscious that don't defeat you, that don't sabotage you, that don't limit you, but put programs in that subconscious that actually engage you and move you toward your wishes and desires. You can reprogram, and this is necessary. You've got to reprogram because all of us have got all these negative programs. And the beautiful part about that is as you reprogram, then as you start, the mind starts to wander and you default to the subconscious, instead of playing the old limiting programs, you will now start to play the new empowering programs. Now, the last thing I need to bring up, Joel, just so we help people with this is... Yeah, go ahead. How do you know what the programs are? You were programmed from the last trimester of pregnancy. The last six weeks or so of pregnancy, you were being programmed, and you were being programmed for the first seven years. And I say, well... How do I know what the programs are? I mean, I ask you, hey, Joel, can you remember the program you got when you were one year old? Probably not. Probably not. So I'm going to say, well, you were already programmed by then. So how do you know what the program is? And so here's the the fun part, the fun fact. 95% of your life comes from the subconscious program. Guess what? Your life is a printout of your programs. So in other words, You don't have to go back in your mind and dissect it and try to say, what was the programs I learned? I say, you're living the programs. So you look at your life. This is how you do it. You look at your life and all those things that you like that come into your life very easily, recognize this, that you must have programs that encourage those things to be in your life. But in contrast, and this is what I want you to listen to, anything you work hard at, anything you struggle over, Anything you have to put a lot of effort in to make it happen, anything you sweat over to make it happen, question why you're working so hard. Answer, inevitably, that thing you're trying to make happen, you don't have a program to support that. That's why your life is resistant to receiving it. This is why you're working so hard. So all of a sudden you say, 
well, what programs do you need to change? You don't need to change all of the programs. You just want to change the programs that are limiting you, that are, that are stressing you. And I go, well, which ones are those? I say, look at your life. Tell me where the issues are. I'm not having relationship. I can't find a good relationship. I go, oh, well, then you've got a program that doesn't support relationship. Oh, my job sucks, and every time I try to get improvement, I, 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 I don't get anywhere. I'm still at the same low-level job. I go, somewhere in there, there's a behavior that's sabotaging you, preventing you from getting that better job. And, and I say, oh, well, great. You don't have to spend a dollar to go to the shrink to find out what the programs are. Because your life is a printout. And once you know what the programs are, then you know exactly what it is you want to change in your life. And then using these technologies, auto-hypnosis, self-hypnosis with the earphones, one way, engaging a new practice and repeating it daily, every day, like an exercise, in other words, habituation. Or thirdly, identify where the problem is and create a new belief statement that supports what you want and not support what you already are getting that you don't want. Those are the three ways. You try and change the subconscious in any other way and it's not very effective at all. It's only frustrating. And I say, yeah, but why would I want to do this? And the answer is simple. That experience I talked about, the honeymoon that most people have for a very short period of time in their life where life is heaven on earth and healthy and happy and joyous, if you put the right programs in your subconscious, the honeymoon is a way of life for every day of your life to over 140 years of enjoyment. That's why we want to do it. And that's why we have to get out of the old beliefs that have propagated into the young people. And it's fortunate because the young people are growing up with computers and internet compared to the old people who got their conventional education the conventional way with the conventional story with the same beliefs that have been limiting and disempowering. What are we finding? The young people have a different world to learn from. They have a global system to learn from, not just a local family, but a global system. They see the world in a completely different way. The future of our civilization is not really predicated on the old people in our world. It's predicated on what are called the millennials, those people who are under 40. These are the people that grew up with that computer, that grew up with a new way of life, with grew up with a bigger community of insight and understanding, and they are the ones that are not trapped as hard in the old beliefs as their parents are. And therefore, it's the millennial generation where the future of civilization is writing. And I go, and how are they going to change it? And I say, by creating new beliefs about life and relationships and community and exercising those beliefs and in the process manifesting a new world. That's where evolution is coming from. Wow, mind-blowing, mind-blowing, Bruce. And you know, it's amazing. Like what we do now, because I'm a Gen Y, what I do right now is actually for the future generations. Absolutely, and that's why I'm so excited to speak to the people on uh, uh, that are listening to your show, Joel, because these are the people that if they just, look, knowledge is power. That's a given fact. Mm. But look at it this way. Let me say the same thing, but a slightly twist. A lack of knowledge is a lack of power. The problem in our world is we have been disempowered systematically by not being provided with knowledge. The knowledge of programming and controlling your life, the, the matrix effect, that's 
been here 400 years, man. That's not a new story. But the, ge the general public is not given that story. And as a result, the general public is unconsciously being programmed to be disempowered every day. And all we need to do is new knowledge because with new knowledge comes new power. And, and the, the uh, people that are listening to this program, Joel, there is the source of the evolution. There's the power to change the world. I hope they'd get it uh, in hand in the U.S. because we're, we're having a government meltdown. That government is broken. That's a dead government. That's a bad government. Why? The beliefs and the operation of it are not supporting us. And guess who's going to save it? The young voters. Because they're not buying into the story. They don't care for the old parent line. That's They already know. They're living it. They say, this is not working right. This sucks. Yeah. And they're the ones that can change. And they're the ones that voted in Obama. But look, even Obama had to conform to the existing situation. And yet today, we're looking at an opportunity for the young people to come back in this next election and change, change the political whole scene. Because if the young people start voting, then we're going to get new belief and new knowledge and a new world. And so I really would just, you know, again, as I've been doing, emphasizing to your audience, Joel, this is the time to take the power. This is the time to get this knowledge so you can be powerful and get out of the program because the program has been living off of you. It's the program that makes you feel that you have no control over your health and therefore you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars every year on health. It's like, that's a bunch of BS. Uh, oh, BS means belief system. That's a bunch <laughs> of uh, a belief system. And the fact is you are so powerful, you never have to get sick. But if you believe you're going to get sick, that's a belief system. And you can get sick from the belief, not because there was any other reason. There's also the belief that uh, the church from a long time ago has, uh, has suggested that you and your spirit, uh, you can't talk to spirit and you can't talk to God. Uh, you must do it through them and you have to pay them a lot of money. And I'm going to tell you right now that, again, more BS. You can never be separated from your source, your identity, that identity of who you are in that conscious mind. That is your spirit. That is a piece of all that is. You have never been disconnected from God, and you can never be. You are a piece of God. So let's stop buying into slavery. Slavery where my genes control me. Slavery where the church is going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. You are all-powerful. All of you are creators, and what we just need is to get the knowledge of your power into your head, because think about it. All the knowledge you've been provided with up to date is knowledge of disempowerment, and today is a day of change, and and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience, Joel, so thank you for letting me get on my soapbox here and say, you are powerful. Let's do it. <laughs> Look, everything you're saying is resonating so deeply with me. And, you know, I, I believe that it's time to get unreasonable. It's time to start, you know, breaking barriers and rising up as well. You know, I want, I want to go a little bit deeper on this question. And, you know, a lot of cosmologists uh, nowadays are saying there's a self-organizing principle in the universe, right? Do you yes. believe that the universe is trying to self-organize in us? And also, what we need to do, like, do you believe that we need to get out of our own way? 
Exactly. The getting out of the own way part, which you've been talking about for the last hour, meaning you didn't realize you were in your own way because you didn't realize that 95% of your life is not being controlled by any of your wishes and desires, but it's been controlled by your program. So the first thing is get out of the way. The program was to disempower you and to empower others. That's how other people make money. If you are afraid of something, they'll capitalize on that fear and you will pay them any amount of money not to experience the fear. So in the old days, the church said, oh my God, you're going to go to hell because of what you did. But if you give us some money, we'll talk to God. We'll give you a break. You'll get out of the deal. Uh, and today it's like, oh my God, you, there's so many diseases, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, all that. It's like, yo, you're going to be a victim. Pay us the money and we'll take care of you. Guess what? With all the money that's being spent, especially in the United States, they spend the most money on health care and they got the crappiest health. What's the point? There is no direct connection between how much money you spend and your health. The direct connection is how much power do you want to have and how much you want to give to the pharmaceutical industry? How much power do you want to have over your life and how much do you want to give to the priest? Uh, that's your choice. The more you give them, the less you have. The less you have, the more victim you are. Is the universe pushing us this way? No, people are pushing you that way for the money. That's why they're doing it. If you have no power and you believe they have power, then you will be a slave to what they say. That's a given thing. Anybody who lives in fear will give up their strength to the one who they believe will you know, stop that fear or help them. And this is where it's coming. And I go, as you brought up, the universe is not looking for power like that. Uh, the world in which we live is like a Darwinian world, isn't it? Think about it. It's a survival of the fittest, a struggle for existence. Life and evolution is violent. And it's like, this is completely untrue. We talk about a garden, the, you know, the, uh, the Garden of Eden kind of idea, a utopian world where everything is beautiful and happy and loving. Guess what? By definition, a garden is not a battleground. It's not a competition for fitness. It's not a struggle for existence. A garden is a community in harmony. And you look at the world and I say, yeah, there's no garden left on here because there's no community living in harmony, either in harmony with themselves or, with the, or living in harmony with other communities. If we did learn to live in harmony, then the whole planet would turn back into the garden and we would be living that heaven on earth. Yes. Is that the destination? The answer is yes. What's preventing us from getting to that destination? The greed of those that recognize that they can disempower you and in that process capitalize and capital gains mm. on, on your fear. And guess what? The news sells fear. The television sells fear. Everything is selling fear, and the idea is that the fear is weakness for you. Uh, there was a president back here in the 40s in the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt. The most important and famous and powerful saying that he had as president is, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. And the whole idea was stop being in fear because the moment you're stopping in fear, you will take a step forward. You will move into the future. It's fear that keeps you hiding and, and protecting yourself from some uh, uh, imagined thing, whether you think it's the cancer, that's a fear, or you think it's the war, or you think, oh, there's, you know, they're going to fire me and then I won't have a job and then I won't be able to eat and then I'll live on the street, then I'm going to die. I go, hey, 
All fear, my friends, it's not true. But if you buy the fear, you will manifest it. And that's why the world we are living in is on, on the brink of a collapse. We're facing our own extinction. Not because it was nature's way. It's because humans have not been living in harmony with the ecosystem and the planet. That disharmony is disruptive and, in fact, uh, responsible for the problems that we face in this world today. Yeah, yeah, I know, I agree. And you know, the thing as well is like, yes, there are really terrible things in the world, but what I love is that like I can see there's a shift, there's a change going on, like people are evolving. There's a lot more conscious entrepreneurs that are stepping up. There's a lot of people rising up and wanting to make a difference. Are you seeing that too, Bruce? Uh, absolutely. This is what I'm trying to get people to understand is that the only thing that's keeping you back is the fear. Fear, you, you might, you know, listen, here's an interesting story. How powerful is a subconscious mind? Very quick story. Hmm. In, in India, uh, they use elephants a lot to, you know, for like moving logs in the forest and, you know, as a like big truck machine, they use an elephant. And I say, well, how do you train an elephant? You know, these, these monsters are 12 feet tall. If you tie an elephant to your house, it'll pull the damn house down. I said, how do they train an elephant? And listen, here's what they do. They get that elephant when it's a young baby, a couple of months old. They tie a giant rope on its leg, tie that rope to a big stake in the ground, and leave the elephant there for a couple of months. I said, what, is it, what does the elephant do? Well, every day it gets up, and what does it want to do? Get away? So it yanks on the rope, it pulls on the rope, it lays on its back, kicks its legs. It does every damn thing possible to get away from the rope. After two months, guess what? The, the elephant says, I've tried everything. I can't get away from the rope. When the rope is on my leg, I cannot go anywhere. It is a habit. It is a habit. And I say, now what? Well, that's a baby elephant. But now that elephant grows up and it's 12 feet tall. I said, well, well how are you going to keep it still now that it's a big giant? And here's the joke. You tie a rope on its leg. You don't even have to tie the rope to anything else. Just tying the rope on its leg feeds the habit that says rope on leg cannot move. So here's this giant monster, 12 feet tall, hanging around because there's a rope on its leg. It's not even attached to anything. Why? The habit is so powerful. It, it, may, it, it inhibited it. And I'm going to just now leave it with this and say almost all of us, as kids, like that baby elephant, had ropes tied on our leg that prevent us from expressing our full self, our potential, our abilities, and the things we can do. We grow up, and the rope is still there. And the fact is, the rope isn't tied to anything. It's just the belief that, oh, I'm not powerful. I, can, I'm, I have no ability to do this or that, or I'm not good at this. These are things that I was programmed. And I go, guess what? It's not real. But if you want to believe in it, just like you believe the rope is your, your limiting factor, then you as a giant monster will stand still with all the abilities built into you and never exercise them because the belief is I am hobbled by this rope. And that rope is nothing more than just a belief system. And that's where we have to uh, deal with the population today is to say all you big monster elephants out there are acting so weak. And it's not that you're weak, you're extremely powerful. It's only your belief that you're weak that is preventing you from expressing and experiencing the life that you want to have. Yes, yes, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Bruce, thank you so much for sharing all your advice today. I know uh, I'm excited to hear the audience feedback as well and hear the shifts that they've had with their own beliefs just after practicing those three exercises that you shared with us today. So 
Thanks a million. I appreciate you so much for jumping on the show. Now, what I do is I uh, end this interview with one last question. Um, actually, okay. just, just before that, how can we find out more about you? Oh, that's the simplest question. And the answer is website, brucelipton.com. That's straightforward. And guess what? All the things we talked about, there are articles, videos, YouTube presentations on everything that we talked about that are freely downloadable at that website. So uh, it's a vast resource of information. Excellent. And also I noticed on your website, you've got a section where it's like uh, access to hundreds of videos. So I think that'd be a good investment. That's just my personal opinion. Well, I, I appreciate it because this is an access to things that other people can't get because they're uh, videos that they have to buy or sign up in other people's programs to get them. And we offer them to our membership. Uh, and that membership uh, gives uh, such a wide range of much more detailed information. Uh, as I said, you can get all the free information, but the membership site does offer uh, a significant uh, amount of uh, uh, videos, audios, and uh, written information uh, that enhance and expand on everything that we've talked about. Excellent, excellent. Now, Bruce, I just want to wrap this up with one last question. And the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? It would sound like this, Joel. It would sound like, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to live on this planet with empowerment, to create the heaven on earth, to have the joy and the health and the happiness that I've experienced. And now that I'm over 70 and it's still booming and it's still exciting to realize that I am in such deep appreciation of the information that allows me to live on earth and realize that it is the equivalent of heaven and 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 i think that's going to be the big shock to people when they they think they're going to pass from here to heaven and then and then pass and then realize you were in heaven <laughs> this is heaven so thank the the universe thank the planet thank the cells that taught me so much i love this planet i love life i love being in love and all of that love brings health happiness and fortune thank you